Volume One, Chapter Twenty Three of Autobiography of a Seaman by Thomas Cochrane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Lord Gambier's Dispatch. The dispatch brought to England by Sir Harry Neale set out with the perversion that the fire ships, quote, arranged according to my plan, end quote, were quote, led on in the most undaunted and determined manner by Captain Wooldridge in the Mediator preceded by some vessels filled with powder and shells as proposed by lord cochrane with a view to explosion the omission of the fact that before captain wooldridge led in the fireships i had myself preceded them in the explosion vessel and that even before the mediator proceeded on service in obedience to the signals made by my order from the imperieuse the explosion vessel under my personal command was halfway towards the french fleet the suppression of my name as having anything at all to do with the attack by means of the explosion vessels notwithstanding that by going first i ran all the risk of being boarded by the french guard boats and myself and crew murdered as would have been the case had we been captured showed that the object of the commander-in-chief was to suppress all mention of me my plans or their execution as entitled to any credit for the mischief done to the enemy the dispatch leads the reader to infer that the success subsequently obtained arose from the quote, undaunted and determined manner in which captain wooldridge led the fireships from quote, admiral stopford's zealous cooperation with the boats end quote, though not one of these ever stirred from alongside the caesar anchored fully four miles from the scene of action and from the plans of the commander-in-chief himself that this suppression of all mention of the success of my plans in driving the whole enemy's fleet ashore with the exception of two ships of the line was deliberately intended by the commander-in-chief is placed beyond question by the contemptuous manner in which he speaks of the means which really effected the mischief quote, some vessels filled with powder and shells with a view to explosion that these means conducted by myself not captain wooldridge did drive the french ships ashore has been admitted by every french and english historian since that period and that this was done by my personal presence and instrumentality is a historical fact which nothing can shake or pervert the only person ignoring the fact was the commander-in-chief of the british force who not only gives me no credit for what had been done but does not even mention my name as having by the above means contributed to the result the sole conceivable motive for such a suppression of the success of my plans must have been that having neglected to take advantage of the helpless condition of the french ships driven ashore it was desirable to conceal the whole of the facts from the british public by ascribing the success gained to other and totally different causes and thus to convert a deep discredit into a great victory the dispatch goes on to state that quote, the mediator by breaking the boom end quote, opened the way for the fireships quote, but owing to the darkness of the night several mistook their course and failed end quote. at the conclusion of the last chapter such reasons have i think been given why the mediator could not have broken a double boom nearly a mile in extent as ought to have set the question forever at rest but as the statement notwithstanding its impossibility is endorsed by the commander-in-chief as the groundwork of his dispatch it will be necessary to refute his lordship's statement also and that from the evidence of an officer upon whose testimony he must necessarily rely viz mr fairfax the master of the fleet who was deputed to the lira to observe the effect produced by the fire-ships and as a matter of course reported to the commander-in-chief the result of his observations which were as follows quote, when the explosion vessel blew up she was almost two cables length from the lira the lira as well as the other explosion vessel is marked in the chart produced by me when she blew up the five vessels all seemed to steer for that point i hailed four of them and the mediator and desired the mediator to steer south-east 
or else she should miss the French fleet. Minutes, page 177, In another place, Mr. Fairfax states that the night was so dark that it was difficult to make out the exact positions, but the testimony of Commander Protio of the Indienne that the explosion took place at the boom, a l'estacade, is indisputable, as the Indienne, by Captain Protio's testimony, was lying so close to the boom, and the explosion vessel also, as only to escape the effect of the latter by her shells going over. The spot, therefore, where the explosion took place is historically beyond doubt. The testimony of Mr. Fairfax, then, and it must be borne in mind that I had no worse enemy in the fleet than that person, is this. First, the explosion took place. Secondly, all the fireships steered for the point where it had taken place. Thirdly, Mr. Fairfax hailed four of them. Fourthly, the mediator then came up, steering in a wrong direction, so that in place of, quote, leading the fireships in the most undaunted and determined manner, end quote, as vouched for by the commander-in-chief, the master of the fleet who was on the spot vouches that she was the fifth fireship which came up, and that, had he not set her right in her course, she would have, quote, missed the French fleet, end quote. That is, she was behind the other fireships and steering outside the boom, which lay in front of the French fleet. It would, I think, be superfluous to say another word about this extraordinary story of the boom, nor should I have condescended to notice it at all, in connection with the dispatch, but that the commander-in-chief makes it the groundwork of his report to the government, for the unworthy purpose of altogether omitting my name as connected with the explosion vessels, and for leading the public to infer that these produced no effect whatever either on the boom of the French fleet, which is indeed the main object of the dispatch. It was, however, necessary to give some reasons why the French fleet ran ashore, and as it was not considered expedient to give me the credit for causing it to do so by the terror created from the explosion, the commander-in-chief, despite his own judgment as a seaman, appears to have caught at Captain Wooldridge's story of breaking the boom and other subsequent exploits just as unfounded, though the master of the fleet must have reported that some time after the explosion vessel had done its work, he fell in with the mediator, steering in the wrong direction, and set her right in her course. I forbear to speak of having myself encountered the mediator, after passing several other fireships, as that would be assertion only, of the effect produced, and by what means it was produced, the subjoined extract from the Times newspaper of May the 4th, 1809, will furnish some idea, as coming from French sources. Quote, some letters have been received from the French coast which bear testimony to the destructive result of the late attack on the enemy's fleet in Basque Roads. Your infernal machines, says one of the letters, have not only destroyed several of our ships, but have rendered almost all the remainder unfit to put to sea again. There have been proved the destruction of more than two thousand of our people and petrified the rest with fear. The mouth of the Charente River is completely blocked up with the wreck. End quote. Footnote begins. That is, of the boom, for no ship had been wrecked at the mouth of the Charente. End footnote. Yet two days after the departure of the Imperieuse, the commander in chief addressed another dispatch to the Admiralty, from which the subjoined is an extract. Quote, Caledonia, April 16, 1809. It has blown violently from the southward and westward ever since the departure of the Imperieuse, which has rendered it impracticable to act in any way with the small vessels or boats of the fleet against the enemy. I have the satisfaction to observe this morning that the enemy have set fire to their frigate, l'Indienne, and that the ship of the line, which is ground at the entrance of the river, supposed to be the Regulus, there is every reason to believe will be wrecked. End quote. 
the emperor napoleon himself is moreover an authority on the subject not to be passed over Quote, some conversation now took place about lord cochrane and the attempt which his lordship had made to capture or destroy the ships in the charente i said it was the opinion of a very distinguished officer whom i named and who was well known to him napoleon that if cochrane had been properly supported he would have destroyed the whole of the french ships he would not only have destroyed them replied napoleon but he might and would have taken them out had your admiral supported him as he ought to have done for in consequence of the signal made by the allemande i think he said quote, to the ships to do the best in their power to save themselves savquipiot in fact they became panic-struck and cut their cables the terror of the brulots was so great that they actually threw their powder overboard so that they could have offered very little resistance the french admiral continued napoleon was an imbecile but yours was just as bad i assure you that if cochrane had been supported he would have taken every one of the ships they ought not to have been alarmed by your brulots but fear deprived them of their senses and they no longer knew how to act in their own defence omira's napoleon volume two page two hundred ninety one end quote footnote napoleon like other french writers includes the explosion vessels under the general term brulot end footnote were it worth while numerous testimonies of the like character could be gathered from french official sources but it is necessary to mention some other points of the dispatch the commander-in-chief's assertion that owing to the darkness of the night several fireships mistook their course and failed was true enough but not the whole truth which was that from their clumsy management neither going in the right direction nor being kindled at the right time or place not one of the twenty-three fireships took effect the dispatch goes on to state that at daylight lord cochrane signalling that seven of the enemy's ships were on shore and might be destroyed the commander-in-chief immediately ordered the fleet to unmoor and weigh footnote four hours afterwards in footnote intending to proceed with it to their destruction but the wind blowing fresh from the northward footnote and therefore a fair wind in footnote and the flood tide running footnote consequently favourable for the fleet to enter a roads and footnote rendered it too hazardous to enter a roads wherefore the fleet again anchored about three miles from the forts on isle de Aix. this was indeed all the fleet collectively did or all that the commander-in-chief intended to do seeing however the enemy warping off their ships and that whilst the fleet was unmooring and anchoring again they had succeeded in getting off all but five of the line the commander-in-chief gave orders to captain bly of the valiant and the revenge frigates bombs etc to attack those that remained aground nothing of the kind but to anchor near the boyart shoal in readiness for an attack an odd way truly of preventing the five remaining enemy ships then throwing their guns overboard for the purpose of lightening themselves from warping off at twenty minutes past two p m continues the commander-in-chief lord cochrane advanced in the imperieuse with his accustomed gallantry and spirit and opened a well-directed fire on the calcutta which struck her colours to the imperieuse lord gambier afterwards denied this though almost the only part of the action which was near enough to see with his own eyes indeed the terms of the dispatch are decisive of having been detailed from his own personal observations but now comes the monstrous part of the assertion viz quote, the ships and vessels above mentioned soon after joined in the attack on the ville de varsovie and the aquilon and obliged them to strike their colours etc instead of soon after the valiant revenge etc 
remained at anchor near the bowyard till my signal in want of assistance had been wrongly interpreted as a signal of distress but for this it is clear that not an anchor would have been weighed yet the commander-in-chief made the act of sending in these ships when it could no longer be avoided appear part of a previous plan to attack the ville de varsovie and aquilon and that they were sent for this purpose soon after my attack on the calcutta and them simultaneously this is not only a perversion of fact but a suppression of it for the commander-in-chief must have seen that the imperieuse was engaged with the aquilon and ville de varsovie as well as the calcutta before the valiant revenge etc were ordered into our assistance as requested by my signal and here it must be distinctly understood that had not a portion of the fleet been compelled by this justifiable device of my signalling in want of assistance to come to our supposed aid no attack would have been made to avert this disgrace i resolved if necessary to sacrifice my ship throughout the whole dispatch there is not a word to indicate that the terror caused by the explosion vessels had anything to do with the success gained on the contrary the success is attributed to causes purely imaginary credit is given to me for the vigorous and gallant attack on the french line of battleships ashore and for my judicious manner of approaching them and placing my ship in a position most advantageous to annoy the enemy and preserve my own ship which continued his lordship could not be exceeded by any feat of valour hitherto achieved by the british navy the plain fact is and it will by this time be evident to others besides nautical men that the just quoted piece of claptrap was considered in the light of a sop to my supposed vanity sufficient to ensure my holding my peace on the subject of the fleet not having even contemplated an attack till forced into it by my signal being mistaken for being in distress instead of being praised for what my plans really affected i was praised for what was neither done nor intended to be done instead of adopting a judicious manner of approaching the enemy so as to preserve my ship i drifted the imperieuse in like a log with the tide and stern foremost for fear of being recalled and then went at the enemy with a determination not to persevere but to lose my ship if the commander-in-chief did not relieve her before she was riddled with shot this being my only hope of forcing on an attack of any kind my motive was no doubt fathomed from seeing me attack three line of battleships simultaneously not a moment was to be lost and for the first time since the french ran their ships ashore in terror two british line of battleships and some frigates approached the spot where the enemy's vessels had been lying aground ever since the previous midnight helpless and as every french authority admits hopeless of escape had the slightest effort been made to prevent it in place then of attacking these with a single frigate in such a way as to preserve my ship i here avow that i rushed at the enemy in the bitterness of despair determined that if a portion of the fleet was not sent in the imperieuse should never again float out for rather than incur the stigma which would have awaited me in england from no fault of mine but because it was not expedient that plans which had been partially successful should be fully accomplished she should have been destroyed this dispatch inexplicable as it was felt to be naturally suggested to the public mind in england that despite its assumption of a great victory the result of the victory was by no means commensurate with the tone of exultation assumed the french fleet was not destroyed and it was equally manifest that if but little had been effected it was owing to the time which had been suffered to elapse between my first signals and the tardy aid reluctantly yielded in support of them by that kind of intuitive perception characteristic of the british press it was agreed that there had been mismanagement somewhere but 
where he was not to be gathered from the commander-in-chief's dispatch in which everything by favour of the almighty as the dispatch most reprehensibly set forth had succeeded footnote there is something very revolting to a truly religious mind in these derogatory phrases which couple the beneficent author of our being with the butcheries of war under no circumstances are they defensible but when the name of the great and merciful creator is made subservient to an attempt to palm off as a great victory that which in reality was a great disgrace even to the human means available there is something shocking in the perversion of language which should only be uttered with the profoundest reverence and on occasions in strict coincidence with the attributes of the sacred name invoked in this case fireships had been denounced as horrible and anti-christian yet explosion vessels engines of destruction tenfold more diabolical had by favour of the almighty succeeded End footnote. it is not surprising then that the press began to criticise the dispatch on its own merits the following remarks are extracted from a times leading article in the paper of the twenty fifth of april eighteen o nine by way of specimen Quote, none felt more joy than ourselves at the destruction of four french vessels in basque a roads we have however been given to understand that there are some people conversant in these things whose satisfaction is not quite so complete as was our own on the result of the action lord cochrane's first signal as we learn from the gazette to the admiral of the fleet was that seven of the enemy's ships were on shore and might be destroyed the question which hereupon naturally suggests itself to the mind is why then if seven might be destroyed were there only four the dispatch proceeds i immediately made the signal for the fleet to unmore and weigh indeed had admiral lord gambier to unmoor at the time he received this intelligence did he not expect this might be the case or with what view was lord cochrane sent up the roads we are not much acquainted with naval matters and therefore ask for information to reason by analogy if a military commander knowing the enemy to be near should send forward a detachment to reconnoitre and to attack if possible he would at least keep the rest of his troops under arms that he might be ready to advance at a moment's warning and to sustain his own party when necessary End quote. the most honest account i have ever seen of the termination of the action is written by the venerable and gallant admiral gravier who was present at the attack it will be found in the revue des dieux mondes for eighteen fifty eight from this though incorrect in stating that i commanded a division i make the subjoined extract which shall close the subject un esprit de vertige semblait s'être emparé dans cette affreuse nuit et dans les journées qui suivirent des plus braves capitaines des vaisseaux que l'ennemi n'avait pas même attaqués furent abandonnés par leurs équipages et des hommes héroïques partagèrent la faiblesse commune la mollesse de lord gambier le courage et le sang-froid de quelques-uns de nos officiers préservèrent seuls l'escadre française d'une ruine totale Extract ends. End of chapter 23 Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia. With thanks to Nicotee B for reading the French bits. End of Autobiography of a Seaman, Volume 1 by Thomas Cochrane.